We are going to be in the book of Acts this morning, and we're going to be in Acts for the pretty much the whole semester. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we're going to start at the beginning of the book. Some of you may know this, some of you may not, but Chris Thompson, our campus pastor here, he and I were college roommates for a number of years, and so it wasn't unusual for us at the time at A&M to go out to a movie or whatever it may be with one another, maybe with other roommates on a Friday or Saturday night. Now, this was a number of years ago, and so there weren't as many things to do even in College Station as there are now. So movies were kind of one of our go-tos, and uh, there was an old movie theater in Bryan at the time that we would go to. It had, I don't know, five or six theaters in it. And uh, one evening, we decided we wanted to go see a film. So we began to look at the newspaper, I guess, for the listings, and uh, we found the only movie we could find to go see that uh, even looked remotely appropriate or halfway decent was uh, Anastasia, which is, in fact, an Indian princess movie. And so I don't know to this day what inspired Chris and me to decide that we were going to go together to see a princess movie, but we did. So uh, we drove down to Bryan, we went into this theater, we began to watch this movie, and at first I was pretty embarrassed about the fact that I was watching this movie that was probably made for, you know, eight-year-old girls or whatever. So uh, I'm kind of slouching down in the seat, but, you know, as the movie went on, I kind of got interested in it a little bit. So I began to watch and follow the story about, you know, Princess Anastasia kind of being in hiding and the evil Rasputin trying to get her and would she find love and what's going to happen and all these things. So we're watching this movie and all of a sudden, the movie's only, I don't know, an hour and 15 minutes, maybe an hour and 20 minutes, but about 15 minutes before the end of the film, uh, everything shut off. Uh, Like the screen went black, the sound went off, and this was before they always had, you know, digital movies playing in these theaters. So the reel that they were using broke. And so there was no way for them to get this movie rolling. They looked at it, they tried, and finally they came out and they said, "Uh, we cannot play the rest of this movie for you, uh, but we'll give you your money back if you'll just go get back in line and you can get your money back. And, And I was sitting in the theater, I thought, this can't be happening. Right? Because all of a sudden I was into this movie and I wanted to know what was going to happen. This movie that I was embarrassed to come see in the first place and all the way out, I was like, there's got to be some way for them to fix this. Right? We get up to the counter, is there no way? There's no way for you to fix this. We're like, no, you can come back another day. And I'm like, I'm not coming back another day. I'm here now. Uh, they gave me the money back. I went home. I still have never seen the end of the movie. Right? The reason is because I just, you know, for years couldn't bring myself to go to like a video store and rent it. And as time went on, I just sort of forgot about it. And as I was thinking about this week, I realized I've never seen the end of the movie. I don't know if you have ever been in the middle of an exciting book, perhaps, and you had to stop before the end or a movie like that that broke and you wonder, what is the rest of the story, right? And it kills you to not know what's coming next. Well, in a lot of ways, as you go through the Old Testament, or New Testament, excuse me, as you read the Gospels, if you stop at the end of the Gospels, you're going to have a very similar experience to the experience that I had watching that movie. And that is that you will get to the end of the Gospel narratives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Particularly the book of Luke, which uh, 
Luke also wrote the book of Acts. If you get to the end of the book of Luke, here's what happens. Jesus, he has died. He has risen from the dead. He has triumphed over death and sin. And then he gets his disciples together and he says, all right, guys, you need to go and share the message that I am risen and that I will bring life to all who trust in me. Go share that message in the whole world. And then he leaves. And he says, see you later, guys. And he goes up into heaven and he's gone. And that's the end of the book of Luke, right? The book of Mark is actually even harder. Jesus rises from the dead and the people who come to his tomb go, what happened? And they go away and it says they didn't tell anybody. You get to the end of the gospel message, the gospel accounts, and you go, where's the rest of the story? The great news is that's where the book of Acts comes in to fill in the pieces. The book of Acts is written by Luke, the physician who traveled with the Apostle Paul later, but who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. Acts, in a sense, is the sequel to the book of Luke. And what Luke describes in the book of Acts is what happened after that moment when Jesus ascended into heaven and he gave the message of the Gospel to his apostles and said, you guys share this all throughout the earth, and then they go. Acts tells us about their going. So right at the beginning of the book, verse 1, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. In other words, Luke says that first book that I wrote, that was just the start of the story. It was about what Jesus started to do before he was taken up into heaven. I find that very interesting choice of words by Luke because it's not, he doesn't say all that Jesus did and now I'm going to tell you about what the apostles did. He actually says, I told you, Theophilus, all about what Jesus started to do until he went to heaven. The implication being this book is what he continued to do through the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of his people after he physically ascended to be with the Father. Luke was probably written around 63, AD 63, somewhere in there, about 30 years after the resurrection and ascension of Christ, before the fall of the city of Jerusalem, because where it ends uh, is the gospel goes to Rome, right? And Paul is in Rome awaiting trial, so probably before the death of Paul. So right around AD 63, Luke sits down and he says, I have written this account of the early days of God's people to finish or at least to continue the story that was begun by Jesus. So Acts actually is one of the most exciting books in the New Testament. There are miraculous conversions in the book. There are all sorts of healing miracles. There's just some fantastic stuff that happens as God's Spirit moves through his people. It's also exciting, though, because there's conflict. The church faces external opposition from both the Roman and Jewish authorities. They face a lot of persecution because they are sharing a message that is at odds with the culture in which they live. And they also face internal conflict. They argue. They argue about mission trips and where they ought to go. They argue about doctrine whether they need to follow the Old Testament law or not. They argue about Jews and Gentiles and whether Jews and Gentiles can worship God together. And so there's all of this conflict as well as all of this excitement. But what the book of Acts does is it essentially then describes what happened in the early church. And then the implication as we turn the corner toward the end of the book is going to be how will you and I pick up the mission and continue the story? How will Jesus' work continue through you and me 
in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus' mission continued in the first century. Acts is not only the story of the early church, it's our story. It's no stretch to say that you and I are called to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ in a culture that is hostile to that message. It's no stretch to say that churches even today face internal conflict as well as external opposition. But it's also no stretch to say that the Spirit of God is still very present, very active in the hearts and the lives of his people and of his church to empower us for the mission of bringing the good news to every nation. As we talked about last week when we talked about the Great Commission, this is the mission that Jesus gave us for our lives. And what Acts will do, I think, is it will focus us on the heartbeat of God's purpose for us to say that our priority in life is to serve as representatives of the one who made us and who gave his son, who died for our sin and rose again so we can have life. And the question as we walk through the book of Acts is this, simply, what is the next step for you to participate in God's ongoing, continuing mission? What is the next step in your sphere of influence? Or maybe the next step for you is to participate in some way around the world to facilitate the spread of the gospel to all the nations. What's the next step? As we look at the book of Acts this morning, we're going to see how Jesus sets up this mission and how it's going to continue through his people once he's gone. All right, so the mission of Jesus continues. And we see, first of all, it continues through God's people. All right, we're going to read all the way through verse 8 here. Luke says, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? He said, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. So the first thing we see is that the work of Jesus continues today through God's people. Now I want you to imagine for just a minute the magnitude of this moment. Jesus, of course, is the Son of God, right? He is infallible. Everything he said was perfect. Everything he did was right. He has died. He has risen again. He defeated death. He defeated sin. And he, now he's been there for 40 days talking to his disciples, explaining the kingdom of God. And now he says, you guys need to take it from here. That's a huge moment. And if you were one of the disciples, my guess is you would say, I don't feel quite ready for that job. These 12 guys, if you have read the gospel narratives, you will know these 12 guys generally didn't agree on anything. Right? They argued a lot. You had fishermen, you had a tax collector, you had a political zealot, you had people from all across the religious and political spectrum of their day. They didn't agree. They argued about who was going to be in charge. Jesus calls them dull and stupid a number of times throughout the Gospels. They're fearful. Peter 
denies Jesus three times. These are not the guys that you would say, you know what, take the most important message in the world and share it to the ends of the earth. And so my guess is that given the magnitude of this moment, they feel afraid, inadequate, and unable to fulfill this task. And if all you've read up to this point is the Gospels, you you would think that too. And yet Jesus says, I'm going to entrust this message to God's people. All of us have those moments where we go, you know what, I'm not up for the task life has presented me with. Over the last couple of weeks, I've talked to a few young men who are either engaged or thinking about being engaged, and uniformly, they go, I do not feel ready to be a grown-up. And to a man, I usually say, neither do I, right? And I'm married with several children. You're not going to feel ready when a lot of these moments come along, right? I remember distinctly that feeling when we left the hospital with our first daughter. I receive generally more instruction when we adopted a cat from the pet store <laughs> than when we walked out of the hospital with a living human being, right? Because right? the cat, they're like, make sure you groom it, feed it this much, this many times, bring it to the vet, take care of this cat, and the cat will take care of you, right? With a baby, they're like, see ya, good luck the next 18 years, okay? Try to raise a productive citizen, bye, here's a wheelchair, right? And they boot you out the door. And you go, what am I supposed to do? I'm not ready for this moment where I am now responsible. And you realize all of a sudden how young your own parents were when they had you. And you go, they were crazy. I'm not ready. The magnitude of the moment we see in Acts 1 is a hundred times more challenging than that moment of getting married, having a child, because they are being entrusted with the eternal message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, you, you will be my witnesses. You guys are going to testify to the world about what I did. You're not only going to do it here in Jerusalem, but in Judea and in Samaria and all the way to the ends of the earth. And what Jesus is communicating is this, that God loves to use weak, sinful, frail, unable people to fulfill his mission. Because in the final analysis, as we sang just a little while ago, he wants men and women from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation who have come to know him and who have spread that message to fall down before him in heaven and declare his greatness and declare his glory. And his greatness is shown to be that much greater when the message spreads through people like us. And so if you, like the apostles, feel inadequate or unable, the reality is that you are. And so am I. And so is everybody who has ever taken up that mission. But here's the great news, and it is that Jesus really doesn't leave them alone. He really doesn't go away forever and leave them alone. Because the mission continues through God's people, but also by the power of the Holy Spirit. Three times in these first eight verses, you have mention of the Holy Spirit. In verse 2, when Jesus was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 5, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In other words, the Holy Spirit is going to immerse you and cover you and fill you up so that, verse 8, you have the power to do what I'm calling. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea 
and even to the remotest part of the earth. A lot of people have noticed the dramatic turnaround in the life, for example, of Peter from the end of the gospel narratives when he is afraid, when he denies Christ, when he is a violent man in terms of taking a sword and trying to slice off someone's ear, right? Peter is not a guy you would entrust with the message. And yet only 50 days later on the day of Pentecost, he stands up in the middle of Jerusalem before a mixed crowd from all over the world and he proclaims the message of Jesus Christ and thousands of people come to trust him. That's not because of Peter's rhetorical skill. Remember, Peter was a fisherman. It's because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had promised before he left that the Spirit would come. John chapter 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Verse 13, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. In other words, Jesus says, if I go away, the Holy Spirit is going to come. The third person of the Trinity, that God himself in the Holy Spirit will come and dwell within God's people and teach you what to say, tell you what to do, and give you the power to do it. And Jesus says, that's why I go, so the Holy Spirit can come. See, Jesus' death and resurrection paves the way for the cleansing of our hearts so we can be vessels of his Holy Spirit. And so he sends the Spirit into the hearts of those who have trusted in what he did to empower us for his tasks. The Holy Spirit is the spark that really lights the fire of the early church. It's one of the major themes throughout the book of Acts, like I mentioned earlier, over and over and over again. When people trust Christ, the Spirit enters into their lives, and the Spirit empowers them to speak the truth, to know where to go, where to be, what to do, and how to do it, because that is God living in his people. We are people generally familiar with the concept that in order to work, things need some sort of power source, right? We live in an electronic age and a digital age. So if I go outside of your home and I cut the power lines, nothing works, right? Your TV doesn't work, your fridge doesn't work, your microwave, your computer may work for a few minutes till the battery goes dead and then it will not work. There has to be a power source. And some of you may have even had the experience of calling technical support about your computer, right? And you pick up the phone and you say, my computer will not turn on, will not boot up. And what's the first thing they often ask you? Is it plugged in? And I always want to go, you know, I thought about that before I spent 15 minutes on hold, waiting for you. Of course it's plugged in, right? Then you look, you go, oh, wait, no, never mind. It's not plugged in. Okay, works, good, okay? (laughs) But on a good day, we recognize that in order for something to work well, it needs to be connected to power, right? Otherwise, your computer, your $2,000 iMac is a paperweight. That's it. What Jesus says is, apart from the Holy Spirit, nothing of eternal significance or eternal impact happens. And there's all sorts of things that you and I could do, but apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, there is no power to do anything that God has called us to do. Supernatural transactions do not happen apart from the Spirit. People do not come to trust in Jesus Christ for eternal life apart from the Holy Spirit. People do not draw closer to Christ or experience true victory over sin apart from the Spirit of God. And so Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you alone, but instead for those who believe in me, the Spirit 
will live in you, and he says, rivers of living water will flow. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. He compares the Spirit to water many times in the book of John. What happens without water? You die. Everything dries up. Nothing works as it should. There is no life apart from water. In the same way, there is no spiritual life, there is no eternal life, there is no eternal impact apart from the Spirit of God. So we say, how do I access the power of the Spirit of God to fulfill the Great Commission, to share the gospel and make disciples? Well, first of all, you have to know him, right? Jesus says, whoever believes in me. Maybe you're in here this morning and you have not yet believed in Jesus that he died for your sin. He took the penalty for my sin and your sin when he died on the cross, and then he rose again. And when he rose again, he defeated sin, he defeated death, and now he offers us life if we believe in him. Believe in him, and then the Spirit of God lives within you, and then John 15 tells us we abide in Christ so that we daily tap in to the power of the Spirit through reading his word, through prayer, through asking God, please empower me to share the gospel with my family, with my neighbors, with my coworkers, with my children, or even with a spouse who doesn't yet know Jesus. Empower me to live in such a way that I can be his representative. So Jesus says in John 15, we are like the branches and he's the vine. We stay connected to him so that water and life can flow through his spirit. So the mission continues through God's people by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, to every nation. Verse 8. You'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. This is the part of the task where Jesus says the scope, and the scope is everywhere, everybody. Through God's people, empowered by his Spirit, everywhere you're called to take the message. And actually, this is somewhat of an outline of the book of Acts. It begins in Jerusalem, it moves outward to Judea, and then to the Samaritans, and then by the end of the book, we're in Rome, which it's beginning to filter out to the Gentiles and into the remotest parts of the earth. And so Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. And then that mission still continues. And again, at the end of the book of Acts, we see that the mission is not yet done. Paul is waiting to talk to Caesar. The apostles are still moving throughout the ancient world to share the gospel. And even after the book of Acts, Virtually all of the apostles went throughout the ancient world, all over the place, India, Asia, to the Greek world, to the Roman world, and they shared the gospel until the day that most of them were martyred for their faith. And then they passed it along to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation. And Jesus says the Spirit is strong enough to accomplish this task for those who believe in me and for those who will be faithful to the mission. All right, we have the ability in our day and age to communicate messages across the world really quickly and very efficiently. You think about Acts chapter 1, it, it was before YouTube, right, which is pretty impressive. <laughs> and, and it seems like Jesus doesn't even need Facebook or YouTube or any of those sort of tools that we have. Not that he can't use them, but he commands them to share this message long before any of those things are around, 
Yet in our day and age, we have the ability to spread messages far and wide. And you see this happen. Let's take YouTube as an illustration. You see things spread throughout the whole world all the time. You know, the number one video on YouTube has 2 billion views. You know what it is? It's a music video called Gangnam Style. Some of you have seen this. The number one viewed video on YouTube that is not a professional music video is a little video called Charlie Bit My Finger. Some of you have seen this. It's just two little British boys in a car, and one of them bites the other's finger. And that's essentially the sum of the video. That's it, right? But it has over 800 million views on YouTube. And I think one of the dangers that we face is to think, you know what, we have to have all of this slick technology, we have to have all of these great things in order to share the message of Jesus. I've got to be eloquent, or I've got to be smart, or I've got to have access to some sort of huge method of communication. The reality is that Jesus says, now, we don't uh, need a lot of that stuff in order to simply be faithful in the sphere of influence where you are. And in fact, sometimes when we have those things, the messages we choose to broadcast across the world are undeniably trivial, right? And yet Jesus says, here's what you do. You go tell those you know. Even when Luke wrote Luke and Acts, there was no printing press. He couldn't print out 10 million copies of it and send it throughout the world. He wrote it by hand. He handed it off. Someone else copied it and copied it again and copied it again. And they spoke and they wrote until the message spread throughout the world. And what they did was they said, I will be faithful in whatever sphere of influence God has given me with my family, with my neighbors, with my coworkers, And that's what the early church actually did, is they said the means, first and foremost, by which we will spread the gospel to every nation is mouth to mouth. Just speak the word, mouth to ear, speak the word. And then mouth to ear, and then mouth to ear across the entire known world. You and I are still called to that task, and the great news is that we can begin in our sphere of influence, and then we can even begin to find opportunities to contribute to what God is doing globally as well. Some of you know that Grace supports dozens of missionaries who are all over the world, who came from Grace Bible Church that are sharing the gospel with all tribes and tongues and people and nations, and we can support them financially. Maybe even later on this semester, you'll hear about some opportunities to go on short-term trips, and you can say, you know what, I'm going to go on a trip for two or three weeks to catch a vision for what God is doing to spread the message of Jesus to every nation. And so God continues his work through us, through his spirit, to every nation, and then fourthly and finally, until Jesus returns. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, right? The message continues until the end of the age, until Jesus returns. Look at verses 9 through 11 of Acts 1. After he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. I love this last scene. Jesus ascends into heaven, and the disciples watch him go, and they just stand there like, wait a second, what just happened? He's been with us for 40 days. He's explained the kingdom of God. Remember, they just had asked, 
Hey, now's the time, right? You're going to bring the kingdom now. They were operating, uh, appropriately so, on the promises of God given in the Old Testament that the Messiah would establish the throne of David in Jerusalem over God's people. And so after 40 days of teaching, Jesus leads them together and he gathers them and they go, this is it. This is the moment we're going to take over the Roman Empire. Jesus is going to establish his kingdom. And Jesus says, no, the timing isn't really for you to know. And he doesn't actually correct their perception that Jesus will reign over the world because that still will happen. But he says, the timing is not for you to know. What you're to do is be my witnesses until the end of the age, until I return. And then he leaves. And the angels show up. These two angels show up and they say, why are you standing there looking at the sky? I love that God sent angels for that, right? Hey, guys, why are you looking at the sky Do what Jesus said. You know what Jesus told you to do? Go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for what he promised. And day after day, month after month, year after year, until he returns, fulfill the mission that he gave you. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus talked about the danger that we face as time goes on to lose sight of the priority of the gospel. Matthew chapter 13, 32 to 37 says, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you all, stay awake. Keep focused on the priority of the gospel. Keep focused on the reason that we're still here to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who are dying in their sin, who are lacking water for life because they don't yet know him. It is easy to lose track of priorities, isn't it? Some of you are college students and you're right about to start a brand new semester and you have a list of goals, right? It may include get a 4-0 this semester, always show up to class on time, even the eight o'clocks. And what happens week one? Well, week two, week three, some things can happen to sidetrack you, right? So on your way to class, you pass that special someone that you know you're supposed to be with the rest of your life, right? And so you set a new goal for your semester. I'm going to walk this route every day, even if I don't have class along that route that day so I can see that person. You say, you know what, new goal, no longer 4-0. That was unrealistic to begin with. We're going to go for a 3-5, right? About week eight, you go, "Uh, we're just going to go not to get suspended, all right? And so Your goals and your priorities change. Parents, as your kids go back to school, you're like, I will read with them every night, even the first grader, okay? Week three, week four, you're like, you know what? If they get dressed and they're at school, we're good. (laughs) Your priorities change, and they shift because you get tired and you get distracted and other things take your attention. And that's a danger that we face when it comes to the gospel. That as time goes on, as we grow older, as we are tempted to fall more in love with the world, as we wonder, when is Jesus going to return? We face this temptation of looking to other things around which to arrange our lives. Whether it is significance in a job, whether it is feeling that we can find deep eternal significance in our 
family or some sort of prestige or some sort of pleasure, we arrange our lives around things that are peripheral to the mission that God has given us. And so Jesus reminds us, stay awake, stay awake, be on the alert. You don't know when the day will come, when he will return, and you'll be called to account. And so Jesus says, stay focused on that priority of sharing the gospel, of making disciples. The question as we close this morning is this. Very simply, what's the next step for you to actively participate in the ongoing mission of Jesus? What's just the next step? Say, you know what, this week I know that I can't, you know, fly overseas and share the gospel in a Muslim country, okay? That's fair. What's the next step? Can you look around at your neighbors, at your coworkers, and begin to pray? Begin to pray you'll have an opportunity to know them and to talk to them about Jesus. Can you begin to initiate conversations with those who may even be out of your normal social circle or comfort zone to get to know them, to see where they are spiritually, and to look for opportunities to share the good news? As the semester goes on, again, I encourage you, seek information about what Grace is doing all around the world. In October, we're going to have a week dedicated to global missions, and we'll talk about all of the opportunities that we have, both to give as well as to go and participate in God's work around the world. What is the very next step for you to say, you know what, in the sphere of influence God has given me, maybe it is just mouth to ear, I'm going to share the good news of Jesus with somebody who has not heard so that it can continue to go out to all the nations through the power of the Spirit until the time when Jesus returns. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for your word. We're grateful for the book of Acts and how it gives us a focus on what you can do and want to do through people who will submit to your will and through those who believe in you. Father, we're overwhelmed that your son didn't leave us alone but sent the Spirit so we can know you, so we can do your task of sharing the good news. Father, I pray as we continue in the book of Acts that it would motivate us, teach us, and train us to follow you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.